Dark save for light being cast from the big TV screen and the imminent sunrise that's teasing the one starry sky with whispers of morning. Hey, George. Hey, Lions. How's it going? Dude, my soul is ablaze. Yeah? Yeah. Or is your soul blazing, if you know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. You're picking up, you're picking up one laying down. Yeah, so if you, if you think. It is. It's both. If you, if you, if you think soul is on fire and high as hell right now, <laughs> that's why it doesn't care about the first one because of the second one. <laughs> because it's going to be high <laughs> as a kite by then. <laughs> if you think Soul Blazer is a weird name for a game, uh, take solace that we could have had the original Japanese name, which is. Soul Blader, like B L A D E R. I don't know what that means. And I know that I've only ever heard Soul Blazer for the last 30 years, but Blader just sounds wrong to me. I think Soul Blazer is Soul Bladers are what produce Blade Runners. I mean, yes. Or Blade Runners produce Soul Blader. I forget. You know, chicken and the egg kind of a situation, I think. Yeah, it's cyclical. One and then the other. It's like a reverse metamorphosis. Like butterflies get back into the cocoon and they come back out. Yeah, yeah. It's like an Ouroboros where the snake eats its own blade. <laughs> <laughs> Neat. So <laughs> I don't. There's no way I could logically segue off that. So I'm just gonna walk away quietly. <laughs> so no, we come we, back. <laughs> so we played. Uh, Soul Blazer um, for the SNES for the SNES, uh, which uh, is part of a series of games from a company called Quintet, uh, mm-hmm. and it was produced by Enix, which later got bought by Square Square Enix. And this matters because uh, we're going to talk about some things in the visuals and the audio, and it helps if you know that this game was made by the same company that made Actraiser. And it helps if you know that they purposefully reused a bunch of uh, art assets, audio assets, and thematic assets. Can themes have assets? They do now. So <laughs> uh, so I, I could imagine going into this game and like not knowing that, one, it was by the same company, and two, that they absolutely did this on purpose, and being like, this is weird. Why does this feel so much like ActRaiser? And I think it's important to know that they did it on purpose because otherwise you would just be like, oh, are they super lazy? Like, are they just, right. are they just like, is this palette swapping like across entire games? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like if you, if, if you didn't know it was by the same company, you would assume that it's the person that like walks into a dinner party and like, he's like, ooh, this is nice. I live here now. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> And like it's like slowly like pocketing all of your stuff or it's like the Simpsons episode where Homer or when Lenny gets the new big high def TV <laughs> and like Homer just starts living there. Yeah, it's 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 that. But video games. But it's OK because it's it's Lenny 
is doing it, not Homer. So yeah. yes, Lenny in Lenny's own house, and Lenny didn't do it by accident. Lenny did it on purpose. Exactly, because yeah. Lenny, Lenny know how we do. You but know? I, I, I want to make sure I, I say, uh, nineteen ninety two was the year for this, mm-hmm. and that matters to me because when we get to the visuals, I'm going to be not like wildly effusive, but like a little effusive. And when I noticed the year when I was, you know, getting the show notes ready, I was like, not every game in 1992 looked like this. So that's that I'm, I'm kind of impressed by the year, but Hey, we'll get to that. So, Oh so, yeah. So no, I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure you were very, I mean, it was, it was, it was a great year. I mean, you had just turned 12 and just learned that your ma- you had just learned your mother's maiden name, which was it. What again? <laughs> There's there's a uh, there's a long running joke of you telling me your social security number and I can never remember the punchline but it it's one of my <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Oh right, no, I remember it was uh 1-800 no wait, that's <laughs> nope. That's the I, phone number. <laughs> 1-800-ask Gary. Um <laughs> so my my, man, we're just like all over the place. So my oh, it's because I'm high because of that joke you made earlier. My nostalgia goggles. <laughs> yes, there it is. It's all on purpose. It's definitely not ad libbed or by accident. This is entirely scripted. Yes. Yep. My nostalgia goggles for this game are uh, also drug related. Actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. No, I have a segue for this. Nice. <laughs> so uh, before I actually knew Brian. Uh, my mm-hmm. father and his father worked together uh, mm-hmm. and they, you know, would talk about their families and it was like, oh, I also have a kid about that age who's also like super into video games. And for whatever reason, because I was young enough that I don't actually remember how this started, probably because my dad was tired of taking me to rent games at the Blockbuster. Um, Brian and I started sending games to each other through our dads. So like, hmm. I would put a game, you know, like with my dad's stuff and he would take it to work and then like Brian would send a game to me and then eventually we met and we became friends and a lot of what we did was play video games together. But the reason I say that this actually uh, can segue off of like buying pot from someone is because, and I live in Colorado, so if I have ever imbibed marijuana, I was able to do it legally, Uh, but at the state level. Well, I don't go to the White House and blaze. <laughs> <laughs> you should, though. It's it's a real rush. I'm going to go sit right in the center of the Supreme Court and just be like, hey, you nine people seem cool. Um, <laughs> so, Holden? You're all cool with this, right? So, did uh, did or, Holden or, Caulfield come to the party? At least five of you are cool with this, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's all I need. Like the other... The other four, I'm, I'm less concerned about. <laughs> but so um, we didn't always have like the boxes for our games because we were kids. And so a lot of the games got passed back and forth in unmarked brown like lunch bags, like the kind of wino would really obviously conceal a cheap bottle of wine in. So, uh, yeah, I actually did have Soul Blazer delivered to me in a way that you would deliver pot to someone clandestinely and didn't even know as a child how hilarious that coincidence was. <laughs> but yeah, that's my experience for this game is taking it out of a paper bag and being like, yay, Soul Blazer, and then enjoying the ever-loving crap out of it. Yep, and my nostalgia experience for this was uh, 
non-existent. And and to be fair though, this is one where um, you know, you said like, oh, we we should we should play Soul Blazer. I was like, oh, well, I, I haven't played it yet, or I haven't I haven't played that before. And uh, and you're like, oh, well, it was from the the same people that made Act Razor. And I was like, okay. And you're like, but it's like a it's like an action RPG. It's like Zelda. And I was like, oh man, it's it's like Zelda. Like you said, the that's that is all <laughs> I needed to hear. But I mean, that's that's you know, like saying like, oh man, you know, like uh, raindrops and roses and whiskers on kittens are your favorite things. This is just like that. And then being like, oh yeah. And then it it wasn't you know like it it, it was it was raindrops on daffodils, you know, which isn't bad. It's just it's just not Legend of Zelda. <laughs> yeah, I mean it it's it's like like Mega Man is a great game. Super Mario Brothers is a great game. And they are both, for all intents and purposes, platformers, but they're mm-hmm. really different platformers. They yes. employ the themes and mechanics of their universes in really different ways to tremendously different effect. And I'm not surprised that I wielded the sword of it's like Zelda a little too brazenly, because <laughs> what I should have said is it is a top-down action RPG similar mechanically to a game like Zelda. Yes. Or, or like, you know, I mean, it's just kind of like how, you know, like Metal Gear Solid is like, you know, an action RPG and Ocarina of Time is an action RPG, but Ocarina of Time is clearly better yeah, in every possible way. Didn't we just recently discuss swords versus guns and how that works out for the swords people? Yeah. I mean, actually spectacularly in Bushido Blade, but... <laughs> eventually (laughs) (laughs) after i got shot enough times yeah exactly but uh uh, yeah top of the hour visuals yeah i I, i'm not even gonna pretend on this i i love these visuals so much uh not just because they're the artwork is is good i mean i i like the style of the artwork and i appreciate the quality of the artwork but this is also it's it's thematically appropriate in a way that a lot of games I don't think always nail. Um, the main character is not like a giant muscle bound late eighties early nineties action hero. He sort of looks like a kid. Like you could mm-hmm. you would believe that he's like twelve, even though he's an angel essentially sent from heaven, kind of. But you know he he doesn't look like oh my god like I. I want to be him. He's He-Man, right? Like it's right. But he's also not going for a like a the gentle, also kind of you know eighties like David Bowie, like you know gender bending. He's just like some dude, and that yeah. really matters to the theming of this game. And like everything is alive, so like doors and tulips and stuff and. We'll talk about all of the impact that that has mechanically, but I love what that does to the visuals because these are inanimate objects that you wouldn't normally have a conversation with. And so the ones you can talk to, like they kind of like dance a little to like let you know mm-hmm. they're alive, which isn't Kirby dancing. It's not like charming AF, oh my God, please never stop dancing, dancing. It's just this really subtle way to communicate to you like this thing has this little spark of life in it. And it Mm -hmm. it just makes 
a fairly sparsely populated world, right? Like a lot of action RPGs, the towns are not full of hundreds of people, right? This is not Skyrim where you could follow a dog around and see how it lives its life. Like the world is, <laughs> is fairly sparsely populated, but it makes the world feel very alive that all of these things literally are alive, but they're like communicating it in a very, the way only life can, right? Like I think it's an old, uh, like an old, you know, probably bastardized version of a, like a Zen Cohen, like to be moving and supple is the way of life to be still and stiff is the way of death. Like, yeah, the way I know this door is alive is because it's like kind of shaking its hinges a little bit. It's like, Oh, yeah, I can, I can just, talk to that door. It's gemming. It's just dancing. It's yeah. just dancing a little bit. Yeah. No, I mean, I, 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 I agree with that. And I think that, um, having a, a fairly life, um, protagonist is very important because, it does kind of further drive home the theme that his their power comes from. Are they? It is it's, the, it's a the protagonist gendered. Uh, I, he is referred to with a pronoun a handful. Ooh, I'm, is the protagonist gendered? I I can't. I bet in the book and on the box they might refer to him as a him but I actually don't think they do in the game because I don't think they do either. the very first thing that happens is the master asks you for your name. Mm-hmm. And then I think you are exclusively referred to by name. So yep. yeah, actually I don't, I don't think that they are. Hmm. So quick, quick aside, what did you name your character? Okay. So every time <laughs> we play a game where, naming the character or naming something in the universe is an option. I always like without even thinking about it, like I'm on total autopilot, just name myself lions. And then Mm. halfway through the game or sometime later while I'm playing, I'm like, why don't I ever do funny names? Why isn't my name? Why am I not butts? Why am I not? Why am I not? Yeah. Why am I not Fanny? Like I've played this game a thousand times. Like I know what, the I can take a little seriousness out of the story. It doesn't have to be it's me. I'm in the universe. Like, but but I always do. I always do. I'm such a coward. So so you know what I named my character? What? Link. <laughs> <laughs> See that I appreciate because that's way more clever than just naming yourself like bastard, but with some letters removed because you don't have enough space. Yeah yeah. No, I was I was just kind of like I was like, what should I name my character? I'm like Link because. It's it's just I don't know why like I just got kicked. It's like like Link, we really need you to do thing A. I'm like, oh, man, you know, I saved Hyrule, and now I got to come in here and like save this town too. Or maybe maybe this was like the birth of Hyrule because we don't count Skyward Sword, and like you know maybe <laughs> maybe who knows how this fits in. But now it's 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 in the Zelda timeline for me. But uh, I think so. Anyways, to go back to uh, <laughs> the beginning of this aside, um, which is that I believe that there um, the fact that the main character avatar is life points to the fact that their power does not come from physical strength right it is it is power like given to them by you know the heavens and absorbed through you know the world around them right which i think is is again important thematically you know that they they aren't some you know hulking he-man that towers over everyone they are they are a kind of a representation of the median of life of of what a human would look like you know well and And so you also never 
not that I could, I can't think of any time in the game you see any other humans fight with any of the demons. And any time it's referred to in the story, the demons win handily. So having this servant of the master, a they call them. Um, I used to live up in the sky like you, even though I don't look like it. Because you meet other people who <laughs> until are. I took an arrow to the knee. Exactly, but like <laughs> you meet like the little mole, and one of the doors in Doctor Leo's lab used to live up in the sky like you, right? So there's you see other heavenly. We're just gonna call it heaven. You see other heavenly creatures, but they have very earthly forms up to and including random crap made on earth, like stuff that was, you know, manufactured. Um, so to, to have, uh, this person look exactly like all the other people, but show up with the power of the gods, so to speak, like is it, it, it matters thematically, right? Like you are there in service of the master. You are not just, you're not a, a random human who worships the master and who is fighting in the master's name. You are literally an angel, basically. Yes, um, and and also to to speak to you, know, you know, the the overall theming is um, basically. I, I really felt that um, two things, but the 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 character models, both for you know things in the world and also enemies, were very extremely varied and very enjoyable and and entertaining i thought that uh that it created even though a lot of the monsters behave the same way which we'll get into in mechanics um i thought that you know it did create an aspect of like the discovery aesthetic which i really appreciated because you know when i would enter into an area that looked different which is another thing right but like i'd enter into an area that looked different i would be like ooh, what 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 kind of bad guys are going to be in here you know uh and and I, I really I really enjoyed that because it did create that kind of drive to discovery, you know, like just the the sheer novelty of what the new enemies were going to look like and the new things that I, when I would enter a new area, I'd be like, ooh, what I'm going to start unlocking stuff, you know, like things, people, places, all that sort of stuff. So it's like, you know, and when you start, it's very, very barren. So, you know. When I went into the first area, I was like, oh, cool. It's like a village of buildings. And the second time, I'm like, ooh, this is like a druid area. And it's like, ooh, it's underwater themed. And it was it was really enjoyable to have that aspect of discovery with the amount of varied visuals that they had. Well, and to your point, the varied enemies then go on to release varied parts of the new town area. Right. So right. you don't show up to a town that's already populated and it's like, oh, please go out into our version of the local wilderness and destroy our local monsters. You show up to basically wallpaper, right? Like here's here's the backdrop for where the town was and will hopefully be again. Now go out into our local wilderness and destroy the new exciting monsters you've never seen before. And then you'll get to see new exciting parts of the town. So like they unfold together, which is they're, they're, it's hard to talk about the way the visuals play off each other without constantly segueing into mechanics. But like <laughs> it, it's a really uh, maybe not completely unique. There are probably other games that have done a similar ish thing, but but it's a fairly unique thing to say, like you discover the town, which is like your safe haven and the wilderness, which is where you go out to fight monsters, basically in parallel, right? As opposed mm -hmm. to 
crossing through the wilderness to get to a town you discover the town all at once and then you cross through another wilderness to get to another town because that's how most rpgs are right you have these little bastions of safety that are towns and safe spots or whatever and then the wilderness between them whereas this is like no 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 no, no. you basically show up to the wilderness and then by discovering new monsters and new parts of the wilderness, you discover the town, right? And it, and it unfolds in a super visual way because everything is literally not there until you release it. Well, and it's, it's very interesting because it, it there's a lot of stuff that does directly kind of relate to the plot. You know, like you, you unlock things that then allow you to move forward, but there's a whole bunch of stuff that you unlock that eh, nothing to do with nothing. You know, like like the guy on the bridge... You just walk up to him. And he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm not going to block your pass anymore." And like, like moves out of the way. So I was like, "Oh, well, that's just that's purely there for world building," which I think that they do very well. Um, but it's actually it's very interesting because I feel that the it is mechanically very similar to, like, almost like themed loot boxes in a way, you know. <laughs> And, and and I know that everybody likes to crap all over loot boxes, but this would be loot boxes on right, which is ones you don't have to pay for, right? right. It's not, you know, but basically is that the idea is it's, for example, in Overwatch, you know, like they'll have an event where it's, you know, Chinese New Year. And then when you get loot boxes, it's all like, you know, Chinese outfits and all this other sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. You know? uh, something on brand. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like that where you're just kind of like, ooh, this is the Druid loot box area. So you kind of like go through and you slowly unlock all of these things you're like oh i unlocked you know a badger i unlocked a tree i unlocked this you know and and again if they all were directly in service of the plot it would feel kind of grindy but um but because you know some of it's just literally stuff that you unlocked where it was just kind of like oh i got a i i opened this box and i got a bunny and and the fact that each of them are you know you step on the the pad and it unlocks the creature right it does have that kind of same feel of it's like ooh, what am i going to get when i unlock this pad <gasps> it was a bunny maybe this bunny does something maybe it doesn't <laughs> who knows but I, i'll go back and find out so it creates a an interesting mechanic where you go and you get excited about the new thing that you're going to get and then not only do you get that immediate reward of being excited about the new thing that you're going to get but then a, another build of suspension of what's going to happen when you then get back to town and get to interact with it. So yeah. it's, it's a very interesting tension and in, excitement and release cycle, which I enjoyed. Yeah. And, and I really, I've been, I'm trying to think uh, while you were endlessly rambling back there, I mean, contributing valuably. Uh, I was trying to think you, like, you don't, you don't know me and I, I'll say I run and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Is, are there any other games where you, discover the town and i can think of a few where like you build up the town right mm -hmm. where it's like oh you defeated monsters now invest money and you can unlock this shop that previously was closed because the monsters destroyed it but i can't think of any other game that i ever played where it's like no the town is gone like there's nothing or you know there's either nothing there to begin with or it's hidden you know because of demons or whatever and and i really I kind of like not showing up to a brand new town. And I'm like, okay, now I have to go in every building and talk to every NPC because as you unlock NPCs in the town through exploring the local wilderness, 
sometimes you need to stop what you're doing and go back to the town and talk to them so you can continue exploring the local wilderness. And other times you can go for a while before you have to go back to the town. And then you show back up at the town and you're like, oh, there's all these friggin' people. Like, I don't even remember all the stuff I unlocked. And it's like, you get to go around and be like, hey, I saved your life. You're welcome. Congratulations. I, I just, I, I really, it feels like a very smartly paced way to dole out like here's a new area we kind of want to control the rate at which you explore it and that kind of thing happens with the wilderness all the time but it doesn't often happen with the safe areas of the town and i I kind of really like it and the fact that it's done in such an obviously visual way it's not like you're all the people disappeared in the freaking rapture and you have to go into empty houses and be like, okay, is there somebody in this house? What about this house? Like literally the house is gone. There's nothing. And then when you release it, it tells you like, Oh, you know, link released a tulip link released a goat link released, you know, a bridge guard. Right. So you know exactly what just happened. Yeah. There's two games that, that, that I can think of. I cannot think of any game that does this. Um, there's two games that do things similar, but they, they both, well, so one of them is serving a different mechanic. So like, and, and there's a lot of games with this, like, uh, for example, Darkest Dungeon, where when you show up to the town, most of the town is not operational. And you don't like pay to unlock anything. It's just like, but as you play the game, different buildings become populated and unlocked. But that being said, that's a, that's a tutorial mechanic. You know, they're like, right. we're not going to throw all these buildings at you at once. We're going to give them to you one at a time when you can actually do something with them. Yeah, and you um, can see, like, you know oh, there's a church, there's a blacksmith, there's a library, whatever. So, like, you you kind of have an idea what the end portrait will right. look like. what it's going to look like. Yeah, once all the colors are filled in. And the only other the only other example I can think of, which would be even a little bit similar, would be, like, Fallout 4, you know, where you Th- can that go actually, and, like... That take your word on. I skipped that one. <laughs> oh, did you? Somebody well, told you... me it was super combat-heavy and less about the narrative, and I was like, well, that's what I was here for, so thanks for saving me $60. Well, hey, you get a feed every level, so... Or do you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing that again. <laughs> for for those those listeners not familiar with that, last time I got to slap the hell out of lions for getting one of those wrong. Um, uh, and all this is true. Um, yeah, so... Uh, no, but in that game, you can go out and, like get people to join your village and you can build your village, but it's not that like by like talking to this person, you then come back and something's like been built, you know? So it's not, it's again, it's, it's in the same league, but it is not the same ballpark. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a, it's a different, it's a, a similar. And I, I, I suspect visually it's pretty similar, right? Cause like there aren't, buildings and then later there are buildings right so it it populates the world in a way that's obvious when something isn't there and then it is there and it's the size of a freaking building um but i i do like how integral that visual is to the story and the gameplay unfolding right it's it's not optional it's not like you could say like oh yeah i'm not gonna unlock anything in soul blazer like choosing not to unlock things in soul blazer is choosing not to play soul blazer (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, one thing that um, I didn't this is this is a minor thing, but it, it, it and 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 I may be I may have just missed missed something in my in my review. But I didn't feel that the dungeons, the dungeon crawls, you know, that the different levels on the dungeons came together very well in the same way. Because, I mean, obviously, I'm going to compare this to to link to the past. Right. You know, 
Um, in Link to the Past, it it seemed like the different levels of each dungeon all felt like one giant dungeon, especially the thing that, that Link to the Past did that I felt pulled all that together is that you could sometimes interact with floors, you know? Mm-hmm. So you could fall from, like, floor five onto floor four or what have you. In this one, it felt like when I went, like, up or down a floor that the visual the, the floor looked different enough that it it was, now it was always on theme like if it was a fire theme it wasn't like i was suddenly underwater but like you know it it seemed disjointed enough that it didn't always feel like i was kind of in the same area like i would go from being in a place where there were, it was like kind of rocky and craggy to a place where everything's on fire to a place where everything's super on fire you know and i was just kind of like i didn't really feel that i got you know that kind of cohesive feel that it's all one area you know yeah and i i don't totally disagree with you but i i think some of that is that you are exploring the world near a town not not like a a an architected dungeon that was built by whomever right so mm-hmm. like a, a good example is uh the maps to me all feel very different and i don't know that they actually are but i i can say for sure they definitely feel like it so a good example is in the first area it feels incredibly linear like you are just walking Mm -hmm. from point a to point b there's no branching paths there's virtually nothing off to the side which is good because it's like the tutorial area right they're trying to like keep everything focused the 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 mermaid town we're gonna call it uh atlantis atlantis Mm -hmm. um the thing that lost city of Atlanta, <laughs> the, the thing that I struggle with every time I replay this game and I get to that area is I don't think that area is actually any larger or smaller dramatically than any other area, but the way it's laid out is you leave the town and you're underwater and then you go like up and left and then you come back through the main area and you go like down and right and then you come back through the main area and then you go like up and right. Right. So like, there's spokes coming off of this main like hub and because you're passing back through that main hub it makes it feel like it takes forever like so just for the record that the the, the water level the water temple I is, know I know what what is that though it's I don't always know. it was I mean Look, if if there was one thing that solidified this for me is it was Mickey's House of Illusion, you know, <laughs> like the fact that that game had a water level. Wait, was and that, it was no, the, we we played World of Illusion, World of Illusion, World of Illusion. Right. Yeah, we didn't play House of Illusion, Castle of Illusion, Castle of Illusion, Ca- World of Illusion, and World of Illusion. Yes, yeah, we played World of Illusion. The fact that World of Illusion had a, a a water level and it was the absolute worst and like ninja turtles for the nes has a water level and it's the absolute worst why 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 I, why I, lions why I, because humans are not meant to be underwater and when we are you know the one game that has water levels that are tolerable echo the dolphin like <laughs> I no, I I I disagree. I think that all of the water levels in Echo the Dolphin are intolerable. <laughs> well, then we are truly lost. <laughs> if, if Echo the Dolphin I mean, couldn't get it, it right, probably why Echo the Dolphin sucked so hard was because they were all water levels. 
you so, know? So if I, it had I been don't, Echo the some kind of animal on land, but the same everything else, the same mechanics, the same game design, the same music and everything, even the weird aliens at the end, but you'd been on mm-hmm. land instead of underwater, would have been fine. I, I mean, <laughs> I literally, I literally have no evidence to say that that would not have been a five-star game and like one for the ages. I mean, it, it was I don't know who I don't know who made that. I think it was owned by Sega. So it eventually would have, you know, Echo would have gotten some like dark gritty mascot, dark gritty enemy with a gun. But you know, <laughs> I think that Echo the Echo would have been would have been fine. Um yeah, no, I I I put it to any of our listeners, like please tell us a game that has a water level in it that's good. Yeah. Because I good is the operative word there. Not tolerable, not right. better than most of them, but actually good yeah actually good and and when compared to like the rest of the game like is on par like so for example you can make the argument that like there are some mario water levels that are good but they're still the worst part of that game agree you know so it's like yeah so i mean like yeah yeah i i I challenge i challenge our (laughs) listeners gauntlets has been thrown yeah, no but, uh, is at nogogpod on Twitter, or there's a contact <laughs> form on the website. Um, yeah, so the water level feels long and laborious, which is, yeah, because it's a water level. Of course it does. But but I, I don't know, like, in you remember in, like, old Nintendo Powers, they would show you sometimes, like, oh, here's the entirety of a Mega Man level, or here's the entirety of, like, a Castlevania world or whatever, like... I don't actually know if the levels or the areas in Soul Blazer are dramatically different size or if they just feel like it or if they're dramatically dramatically different layout or they just feel like it. But the Atlantis in particular, I'm confident, feels dramatically different because of this this like X you draw across the hub. And it, it mm-hmm. just makes it feel like it takes for freaking ever. The other thing that uh, Atlantis does... Uh, that I, I will crap on the visuals because I, I think I basically have close to no complaints about the visuals in terms of like their prettiness, like as an art. Except there was a time in history, apparently it was around 1992, when people weren't really positive how they wanted to animate water in video games because you can do that a bunch of different ways and it depends like is it underwater is it the surface of the water is it the surface of the ocean or is it a river right and there's enough variation that people went and did lots of wacky stylistic things i don't like the way they made water look in this game because it looks fantastical like that's not how water moves it it's <laughs> it, it looks it, it just doesn't look right it's never looked right and in uh, the world of evil, the very last area where you go to fight the, the final boss, they have like this swooshy fire effect that's everywhere. And it looks mm-hmm. really cool. And it is the exact same animation pattern that they use on the water, except it's reds and yellows and oranges instead of like blues and whites. And it, it it's not a full palette swap. It's not like they just took the water and turned it into fire, but it's the same like flowy ribbon of color animation. And on the fire, it looks super cool and like otherworldly and evil. But on the water, it just looks like 
the moving walkway in an airport. Just like, <laughs> like, what is this blue arrow pointing me in this direction? I just, I've always, I even remember thinking it looked odd as a kid. Like it has looked odd to me for 30 years. And I think that that what you just said is something that, you know, would be the, the line that kicks off act two of a movie where like a character would run, come like running in like gasping and be like, like what, what happens? Like they turn the water into fire. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I'd watch that. Like, like if that was like part of, you know, the, uh, like a preview, you know, where it's like, boom, in a world where things have happened, boom, <laughs> you know, like, one one person will stand out above the rest. What do, what can we do? How can we stand against them? They they turn the water into fire. Shit. Mega Man X twenty <laughs> XD six or whatever. I don't know. But, it, um, it was a perfect opportunity to say Soul Blazer, but you know, uh, I, I'd say go back the and, Soul and Blazer, right? I mean, it, it's right. Like you had it. Oh uh, yeah, no, it would have been great. <laughs> yeah, I did. I messed it up. And uh, and I'd say let's go back and edit it in, but we have too much journalistic integrity for that. Part of me um, is tempted to tell you I'm going to do that and then let you do a second take and then leave all of this <laughs> in. <laughs> You're like, okay, okay, so we're going to make it look really good, right? Oh, no, man. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sound great. It's going to be great. Uh, uh, but yeah, so that that is a that is like the one part of the visuals that I would say like flat out looks like just in terms of pure aesthetics, I just really don't like. Now, when it comes to the graphics serving the gameplay, um, there are two two things they do visually that I have feelings about, not good or bad, but that specifically stand out as like drawing a raised eyebrow. Uh, One Mm -hmm. is you encounter metal enemies, and those enemies cannot be defeated uh, with your regular sword, or actually even the best sword, there is one specific sword that can kill metal enemies, and they mostly communicate that information to you through the sound, and there's mm-hmm. only a tiny little uh, visual change, which is that they don't do the white flash of taking damage. Right. But because this game occasionally has some frame rate issues when there's a ton of crap on the screen... You could be wailing on a metal enemy for a little while before you're like, oh, it's not flashing, right? Like if you had the sound down really low or something, because the noise is super obvious and dramatically different. There is actually one additional visual cue, though, that I think, again, helps assist it. This isn't perfect. Like they probably could have drawn more attention to it. Um, No life bar appears for the enemy. Ooh, that is super true. Because the life bars are not persistent. They show up when you hit something and then if you don't hit it again for like a second, it goes away. Right. So, so when you swing on those things, like no life bar appears unless you're actually damaging them. Um, and I know that because when I actually took a swing on one and dealt the damage, I was like, they have how many hit points? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, the other thing is, uh, the, when a monster comes out of the monster lair and they spawn, they are temporarily invincible and mm-hmm. they flicker, they're like, they look, you know, semi-transparent to, I guess, communicate to you that they're invincible temporarily. And mm-hmm. again, most of the time, or if you've played this game before, that is perfectly fine information. 
But if you're in an area that has a lot of monsters or you're not doing your job and you're just letting them continually spawn and the frame rate slows down a little bit, sometimes they can get stuck on invisible or they get Mm -hmm. stuck on visible and it looks like, oh, I should be able to hurt them. Why can't I hurt them? Or I'm getting hurt. What is hurting me? And this extra matters later because there are actually some invisible enemies. Right. (laughs) So like seeing like taking damage from an unknown source is actually a thing they expect you to deal with later in the game. So it's like, right. It's kind of a, it's not game breaking, but I do remember like when I first booted the game up and I sat down and like was kind of taking more damage in the first area than I thought was strictly reasonable for someone who'd (laughs) played this game so many times. I was like, Oh yeah. Cause I'm like, I'm too much up on them. Cause like, I know what's supposed to be happening and I'm not waiting long enough for their invincibility to wear off. Like, I need to kind of hang back, which any normal person would probably, you know, proceed with caution. But I was like, nah, I got this. I'm the soul blazer. Like, this is fine. And then I like, not soul blazer. Yeah. The soul blazer. Um, And actually that, that uh, leads to one of my uh, thoughts, which was, um, and this is, okay. This is just a total minor aside, but like invisible enemies, totally fine. One of the things that they do with the invisible enemies is they continue to leave the shadow down. True. Right. Which is a great way to telegraph. It's a great way to kind of be like, ooh, it's invisible, but look, you can still see it. So it's it's a way for you to still kind of like jockey for position, but it makes it basically a, a little bit harder to see and harder to deal with. So, you know, I, I thought that was very nicely done. Here's the thing is if it's invisible, how is it casting a shadow? Yeah, it's about the laziest way you could be like, oh, there's still an enemy over here because of its shadow, but it. The light's passing though. through it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I'm actually yeah. with you on this. Like, I think a a ghostly, it's very pathetic, but... <laughs> a, a ghostly outline or like a shimmer, like oh, there's little sparkles where there's invisible enemies because of the magic that makes them invisible, right? Like the like, predator thing, you know, like yeah, kind of does like the, yeah, and I mean graphically like. Pr- processing wise for a game that does occasionally have frame rate issues if there's too many sprites on the screen like i don't think a little shimmer or a little outline or something would be any more intensive than rendering the whole sprite right like we're talking about rendering less information so Mm -hmm. yeah leaving the shadow feels like it feels like they want you to notice the the hardest thing to notice which is just this little black circle that's you barely might even be able to see it moving around, but it doesn't take much thought to be like, but it's their shadow. Right. I'm, I'm yeah. with you. I, I don't feel like that's too, uh, too nitpicky, too minor of a nitpick. I, I think it's like really the shadow, like no one said yeah, like, like the shadow. <laughs> yeah. Like what? And I mean, it's kind of like the same thing where, literally i was you know i was playing through and i was like oh it's an invisible enemy but you can still see their weight you know it's it's kind of like the same thing where it's like you know like oh man i'd love to be invisible it's like but you'd be blind wait what you know like that (laughs) (laughs) it was like that kind of same realization i was like yeah no hang on what you know like it it, it, yeah because i mean it invisibility is one of those things that is like highly romanticized you know i mean like what was it you had uh the oh man i'm blank on it uh the guy who had the uh the the big boat and the the golden fleece what's his name hercules 
No, Jason, right? Jason and the Argonauts, right? Oh, Hercules had, uh, did he have the lion skin? Uh, Jason had, had the golden fleece, I think, and Hercules, yeah, I think, and Hercules had, the had the dead wife. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. And, and children that he killed because it's Greek mythology. Yeah. Because um, if you thought anything about Kratos was original, you're wrong. <laughs> but uh, no, but I mean, like, you know, like where there was, you know, the, 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 thing that makes you invisible and it's like oh well do you become a terrible person and i think i might be getting those myths mixed up but anyways that's not the, the point is it's like oh being invisible would be awesome it's you know the same thing was like oh man you know being able to to move at super speed would be awesome it's like well yeah except for the fact that the friction would set you on fire and you know the whiplash would break your neck and you know so so visibility is one of the things where it's just kind of like oh well, they cast a shadow no they wouldn't and you'd be blind and how would you you know, like interact. It's yeah. It's 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 a whole it's a whole thing. Yeah. But, no, um, I, I always assume that uh, any any superhero who only has one superpower has two superpowers. Their second superpower is that their first superpower does not kill them. And right, which <laughs> right? No, that's actually a big one with um uh, super strength because. Yeah. Like I assume that when people are like, oh, I have super strength, I'm like, then you must have improved durability because if you just are like, oh man, I have super strength, so I just punch that guy with like the same amount of like energy as like five TNT blasts, it's like then you just pink misted your arm. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, because like, that so, blast also hit you. Yeah, exactly because of Newton and stuff. But uh, that's that's kind of all I've got for visuals. Do you have anything else? Um, I've got other stuff, but nothing nothing really worth remarking on. Uh, <laughs> I I could say more, but why? Um, <laughs> I I just I need to throw a uh, a big thumbs up to the bosses uh, because the uh, enemies are all somewhat varied, right? Like in each area, the enemies are varied, but within the area, you see the same enemies a lot. Um, but I do really appreciate and enjoy that each boss is completely unique. They have completely unique movement patterns. They have completely unique looks. They have completely unique powers. They're all like big, right? So they're they're like large, super detailed, really interesting sprites. And I, I would always rather take less game right? Like this is one thing I've noticed about action RPGs is action RPGs compared to like JRPGs tend to be less aggressive with things like palette swapping and reusing towns and making you backtrack through the same place like 47 times because an action RPG is usually about 10 to 15 hours and a JRPG is like 40 plus. And so it's hard to make 40 hours worth of game where you never see the same thing twice, right? But like 10 hours worth of game... And if I'm going to fight eight bosses, for the love of God, do not show me the same boss palette swapped later in the game. Like, that is unacceptable. You only have to design, like, these five or six bosses. Like, just make each one unique. And because the areas are so varied, make them thematically appropriate. And this game does that in spades. And I just, I, I appreciate it. Oh, another thing is none of the bosses are just large regular enemies like yeah right like like yoshi's island does this on purpose as part of the story and there it's really cute like oh it's a regular enemy but now it's huge and it's a problem right but like when a jrpg is just like oh it's the same wolf you just fought a thousand times but um 
dire. Bigger. Uh, it's B- dire. Bigger and with frosted tips. Yeah, it's bigger and dire, and like some of it that was white before is like red now, and that's how you know it's mad, right? And like, I mean, I love JRPGs, but like, I I would, given the choice, broadly speaking, if someone's like, do you want to see the same thing a hundred times, or do you want to see six different beautiful things? I'm probably going to go for six different beautiful things. So I, I, I like that about this game is that the, the variety feels like when they ran out of stuff, they stopped instead of just reusing the same stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, instead of saying, you know, Hey, we need, we need more ink for our, you know, printer because we got to print more pages. And it's just kind of like, well, but you had enough ink to print these 10 pages and, and isn't that enough? No, man, more ink, more pages. And it's like, eh, <laughs> But uh, audio? Yeah, and what I should have done was made my comment about the metal enemies. This is where if we did heavily edit these episodes, I would take that and put it here Mm. because I mentioned the sound effect that it makes when you hit them. Exactly. Yeah, that's what we should have done, but the best laid plans. And it's unfortunate that we're not, you know, reviewing Chrono Trigger again because then we could have, like, gone back in time and and fixed all of this. Right. You know, I was... (laughs) I was talking to someone who was like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I listen to your podcast. And I was like, oh, it's cool. Like, they're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a big JRPG fan. So, like, I've, you know, I, I love those episodes. And it was like, oh, yeah, did you did you notice the thing we did in Chrono Trigger with, like, the time travel? And he was like, oh, yeah, you played the, the time travel sound effect. And I was like, no, 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 no. When you just play the sound effect. We traveled through time. He was like, what do you mean? I was like, oh, the, the episode's, like, it's out of order. Like, it's, it's like a joke because, like, we normally do segments in a certain order. And he was like... Oh my God, you're right. Cause like you, like you made a joke in one segment and you like referred to it later. And I was like, yes, it's yeah. It was maybe a little too subtle. <laughs> yeah, no, actually I've, I've talked to a couple people about it as well. And they were like, Oh man, that's so awesome. I'm like, yeah, but if I had to explain it to you, <laughs> yeah, then we, if you have to explain the joke. It's not funny. So, and that's yeah. on the joke teller. So the, the good news is I've never spoken to someone who is like, why is that episode out of order? That was stupid. Like they didn't mm. pick up on the detail, but then not get the joke. They either always get all the way there or they don't get there at all. And I'll like, that's fine. Like someone who doesn't even realize it's happening and just thinks it's a normal episode. Totally fine. But anyway, in this yeah. episode, there's these metal enemies. Mm-hmm. And when you hit them with your sword, which is a visuals thing, it makes a different noise. So let's talk about noises. now. Let, let's talk about noises. Um, so, uh, all right, I don't know, and I, I, I am really confident I made this exact same comment about Actraiser. Uh, and, you know, if we had that Chrono Trigger time machine. No, this isn't about Chrono Trigger. Um, is it, I swear to God, the, the, some of the sound effects for this game are straight out of Gradius. Gradius 3. For, it was made by Konami. I don't know whether, like, the NES yeah. have, like, just some, like, basic sounds to it. But that... Metal Scorpion dude, when he fired fireballs at you, I was like, this is exactly what it sounds like when you're shooting bad guys in Gradius. Like I would I would I would slap that on it. I'm just so sure. Uh, um, Gradius. <laughs> well, you don't get to research it first. And then, no, I'm like, not gonna slap that with you over it. I'm I'm just like th- this feels like the thing there's eight million videos of people playing those video games on YouTube, so I could like quickly enough fact check this so i'm just curious because uh this game uses a nearly identical um sound palette to act and to the games that followed so after soul blazer is illusion of gaia and then 
Terranigma, and then I think there's one more. Um, but so like all of those games, if you if you play them, they're not similar sounds. They are identical. And the later games mm-hmm. have more sounds because there's like more magic and more weapons and whatever, like more stuff in the universe. But like the sound you make when you get hit is identical between Actraiser and Soulblazer. The sound it makes when you swing your sword is identical between Soulblazer. Like it is literally the same sound file. And as someone who played Actraiser and Soulblazer a crap load of times, I am going to uh, tell you with absolutely no shame that I did not notice that until someone else pointed it out to me, right? I felt it. Like I felt, mm. oh man, like these things have so much in common, but somehow I just never was like, oh, they're literally the same sound effects copy pasted to create a through line of continuity of, you know, pieces of art produced by this studio, <laughs> Uh, yeah, someone had to spell that out for me. And then once I heard it, I was like, oh my God, duh. Like, duh. Like, how? And that's really interesting because uh, one of the things that I've seen a fair amount of in video games in general, and sometimes it's very good and sometimes it's very bad, which is um, stuff that is, quote, in service to the brand, right? Mm. So a great bad example of it um which i believe i I, i'm stealing this from extra credits and those guys are awesome so go check them (laughs) out uh but basically it's like uh if you look at um bioshock right Mm -hmm. so when you in the first bioshock game you go through like garbage cans and things like that to like loot stuff because it's in this fallen society where you know like it's 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 pretty crazy right uh, and then in Bioshock Infinite, where you were in the fully functioning, flourishing town of, um, you know, you Sky still... Atlantis. Yes, Sky, Sky Atlantis. <laughs> um, when you were there, uh, you you get you still they still kept the looting mechanic of looting through garbage cans, you know, and mm. that makes way less sense because you know, like if if all of a sudden you know, like you're in this post-apocalyptic world and I see somebody rooting through a garbage can, I'm like, yeah, that holds up. If I'm like driving down, you know, like 470, you know, I just like kind of <laughs> like look over and I see somebody like in in normal like in a in a suit hungrily like scrummaging through a garbage can, I'd be like, is somebody going to do something about like that's yeah. that, that's, per- that that's person clearly wrong. needs some assistance. <laughs> Right. So, but the thing is, it's a Bioshock game, so you gotta have looting through garbage cans, right? Um, but the thing that I think that, that is the idea is that it has to feel like a Bioshock game. So, this is an interesting way to service the brand in a way that is almost, as you just said, unrecognizable at the top level, right? Because you didn't know that this was, you know, the looting mechanic, like straight up, you know, hard pulled from Bioshock. You didn't know that these, you know, you couldn't just say like, this is the exact same sound effect. It just, it felt like the same game. So it was in service to the brand in a way that was unobtrusive by just improving the game feel, which I think is very elegant. Well, I feel like this is the way people often describe um, movies is they'll say like, oh, you can tell uh, this music was done by Hans Zimmer because he just has a hard-on for cellos, right? Or, oh, you and I made that up. I don't know what he has a hard-on yeah, for. Yeah, or you can tell, like, this This was made by Michael Bay because there's giant Transformers testicles, you know? Yeah, like, just everywhere you look, right? Yeah, yeah. and, and that, that kind of thing is more... I, I think the in-service-of-the-brand 
is the pejorative way to say a company's signature or an artist's mm. signature, right? So like if you watch a Michael Bay movie, and I mean, he's not a good example, but like there's a lot of explosions and a lot of like grandiose over the top nonsense, right? Do you think the big reveal is that Michael Bay is actually Mr. Torque? <laughs> I'm... <laughs> Um, I'm just picturing like, like Michael Bay saying like, I got one question and one question only explosions. Well, I think it's the opposite is the big reveal in borderlands three. Oh. Will be that Mr. Dork is Michael Bay. I, I, I could definitely be down for, and, and I, I'm sure, I don't know if you remember, do, do, do you remember Mr. Torque's last name? Because Mr. Torque is his first name. Oh God! What is his last name? <laughs> yes, he was named Mister Torque Flexington. <laughs> is his full name Mister Torque Flexington? And I would, I would, I would buy into that. Like the big reveal being, he's like pulls off a Scooby Doo mask, <laughs> and it's Michael Bay. I'd be like, that, that, that makes sense. See, if you're gonna do something that's like bald face in service of the brand, like <laughs> c- comedy is safe, right? Because everything in Borderlands is totally just banana pants, but it's supposed to be like the brand right. is nonsense and they pull it off in spades. If you're trying to do that with things that are serious or dramatic, but also they really want you to know the production studio that made it or the director that made it right. Like if imagine like if in a, every Spielberg movie, there was somebody wearing a t-shirt with ET on it. Eventually you would be like, yes, Spielberg, we get it. You're very successful and it would be annoying. But when you watch a Quentin Tarantino movie and there's like over the top blood and gore, it's like, well, it's not really gore. It's just blood, like over the top blood spray. It's like, oh, that's like violence. Yeah, Yeah. that's Tarantino's signature is this like kind of stylized hyper violence. Right. And to do that in a video game, because we're now like four levels of analogy away to, (laughs) to do that, to do that in a video game with uh the sound palette which i don't know if the right word for that is palette but i really like the way it feels so i'm gonna run with it so to do that in a video game with the sound palette creates a kind of cohesion that is almost always going to be subtle and overlooked by most players but felt right musicians or people who work in the audio world that kind of thing is probably more obvious to them but i would say most players probably fall on the the George side of the audio spectrum where they appreciate good music and they enjoy rich sound effects, but they're not like dissecting them, right? They, they just kind of wash over you. And if most players are in fact on that side of the spectrum, then creating a cohesive signature through audio is very likely to be felt, but not very likely to be consciously detected which is clearly what they were going for they wanted this sort of subtle tone throughout their games so do we want to just set the 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 george john spectrum like john williams george, <laughs> like ability to to kind of like observe i mean i don't know john williams personally i just know his music but i assume that that'd be pretty good like of like you know complete troglodyte to, to true expert and before you answer Palette, a thin board or slab on which an artist lays out mixed colors, the range of colors used by a particular artist in a particular picture, or the range or variety of tonal or instrumental color in a musical piece. Boom. Nobody so, can see it, yeah. but I'm doing a little Lions Was Right dance right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I was surprised at how naked the dance was, but it, it's, it works for you. I mean, 
are there other ways to dance? Is this why I keep getting thrown out of clubs? <laughs> and emphatically not thrown out of others? Yes, probably. <laughs> yes, but only <laughs> certain clubs. Yeah, yeah. And in other clubs, like, <laughs> like, like you're the regular and they give you nicknames? Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, this is why. <laughs> So I, I, I need to mention about the music, uh, and I think I've had this problem with a couple other games, but uh, I love the music in this game. Um, the, the Water Temple music is not the best, but I do enjoy that music. But, but I, enjoy, I love all of the music in this game, and this game has a problem that a lot of games from this era have for me, which is that my two favorite pieces of music in this game are pretty unhummable. So if you try to hum them because you have them in your head, anyone nearby will look at you like you are a crazy person. For example, earlier this evening when I was like, oh, I need to organize my notes. Like I had them all written out, but they weren't like chunked into sections. I was organizing my notes and kind of like da-da-ding the song because I mean, they don't have words or anything. So I was like singing one of the songs and then i became intensely aware of the like what is wrong with you look that susan was giving me sitting across the table and i was just like these songs are not hummable okay like it's stuck in my head and i want to get it out by like performing it but it's like it's not meant for vocal performance like i don't don't know (laughs) what to tell you it's not it's not like the super mario brothers theme where you could easily whistle it and I, i just that's that's a crappy kind of earworm because it's like a song I really like, but when it gets in my head, I'm like, all right, it's in there. Don't know how I'm going to get it back out. Cause the only thing I can do is go and like, listen to it on YouTube or play the game, I guess. Cause it's not like the soundtrack for these games exists. No, no, I, I I'm confident that if only, if only we had a time machine, like in Chrono Trigger, <laughs> then we could go forward in time to when soundtracks for them did exist. <laughs> but, but but sadly we do not. <laughs> no, sadly, sadly this is not Chrono Trigger. This is Soul Blitzer. Um, and all this is true. Yeah, I, I actually also really did enjoy the music. Um, and and Megan and I actually got into a conversation of it where she said, uh, she's like, oh, I really like that they used classical music. And I was like, I, I think this is original music, and and it is in fact original music, but it is very reminiscent. Some of it is very reminiscent to like classical pieces, and so. It was interesting from my seat because at one point Megan started singing random classical songs <laughs> to see if they <laughs> lined up. Yeah, yeah. And 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 so I'd be like, why, why do you have that in your head? And she's like, because of the video game, but I don't know that song and I know this song. So, you know, and I was like, Yeah, but you know but what I that did is? Feel, feel that, it, that's music. the super nerdy version of like, oh, this album totally lines up with the Wizard of Oz. And if you play it at the exact same time, right? Like and it's like, oh, th- <laughs> this classical piece is exactly like this other uh, song in Soul Blazer. And it's like, you nerd. <laughs> <laughs> well, the awesome thing about that is it is on conspiracy theory level because no one's going to fact check that. No. Like, I mean, if you said like, dude, just so you know, Bach Symphony and D minor totally links up with stage three of Soul Blazer. Everybody's just going to be like, oh. oh, and I mean, they'll judge you, but they won't check you. Yeah. Even if you showed it to them and you were like, no, here, listen, it'd be like, okay, I hear it. Also, how did you get into my house? Yeah, no, I mean, to be fair, they would they would check you for drugs, but they wouldn't <laughs> check you socially, you know? What's in that brown paper bag? It's just Soul Blazer. 
I, I swear to God. <laughs> so, uh, uh, do you have anything else for audio? I do. There were two uh, things I wanted to ask you about because they're really subtle. And so it's one of so them is no it, to both. Then. Well, no, I mean, w- subtle, like literally if your volume was down too low, you could miss this. Mm. So when you, uh, go into dreams cause you can go into dreams and there's a couple points in the game where you talk to people, uh, or you, there's text description on the screen that is not speech. Mm-hmm. And so I think the first time it happens is actually right in the beginning of the game. So, uh, you go into Lisa's dream and yeah, it's, it's literally the first time you go into somebody's dream, you go into Lisa's dream and, uh, she is calling out to her father, Dr. Leo. And she's like, you know, answer me. Like, why won't you answer me? And then it says, uh, I think there was no answer. Um, But what matters is all of the text in this game, like most games from this era has a text scrolling noise, you know, like as the letters appear Mm -hmm. on the screen. But when it says there was no answer, it is silent. And then later in the game, um, when Dr. Leo I, like blows himself up, um, if you try to talk to Lisa, it says something like, um, like Lisa is racked with grief or something because her father just died. Um, and, and I think it might, if it's not that text, it's text that happens in that scene, but it's the same kind of thing where there's a bunch of spoken text that has the text crawl noise. And then some very, weighty crucial dramatic text that does not have the text crawl noise and i just it's so subtle and it's so unimportant like it doesn't change anything but if you notice it or if the volume's up loud so like if you feel the difference like where there was sound now there isn't sound like it's it's very impactful it's very clever because they had to design the 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 part of the game engine that puts text on the screen that they could denote those things separately, right? This text does not get the noise. All the other text does. Yes. No, agreed. Um, I, I did not notice. I didn't notice that, but again, to the cleverness of the audio on this, um, it, I felt it, you know, like it would just kind of go through and like, like bruh, 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 and then like nothing. And it just, it, it makes it feel like the words hang there, you know? Um, and, uh, and yeah, I did think that that was, I, I would not have been able to point that out to you, but now that you're saying it, I was like, yes. And I think that that's a good, a good example of the use of non not null sound because it, a lot of times when there is no sound, when there normally is, is it should be kind of deafening. And it really does like that uncanniness makes you focus in on the moment. And it does make, you know, the text isn't any bigger it isn't bold it isn't like rainbow colored it's just the same text but without the sound it's it feels heavier which is very nicely done yeah there, there's one other it's a little bit less subtle you you may have noticed this but uh after you defeat the boss um for an area there is permanent happy music in that town so all mm. of the completed areas have the same the same music. town yep. music but only once the boss is defeated which creates an interesting through line because before the boss is defeated, the towns have the same like sad town music. And then after the boss is defeated, the towns all have the same happy town music. So it, it, 
it makes the areas feel a tiny bit less varied because every town has the same town music, but it does create this very clear, this area has been liberated, like time to go and save more of the master's subjects, right? And and I like that sense of finality, like, okay, like you you did what you were here to do, time to move on, right? And And that fits again, thematically with this universe is, and, and the quintet games in general is like, like, like you did what you were here for and it's kind of okay for you to leave now. Like they don't, you're, you're not now a citizen of this town. Like you did your job now. Thanks. Bye. Right. Right. And, and that the music kind of like pushes you forward. Like things are happy now go somewhere where they're not happy. Go, go find sad music. It's kind of like, um, Oh, uh, I forget the name of the character. Uh, he's the, he's played by the same guy who played the villain in the Doctor Strange movie, but from Serenity. Um, the guy who plays like the yeah, do you remember the movie Serenity? Right? Yeah, I mean I do, but not well enough that I'm getting where you're going with this. No, because it's um he, he basically he says you know like he's like to to Malcolm you know he's like I'm I'm the villain I. I cannot exist in the perfect world I am trying to make, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, and he goes like, like, he's like, don't you see? Like I am trying, I, I have to exist to do all the evil things. So that way other people don't have to do them. And, you know, Malcolm says like, you know, like I don't kill, kill women and children. And he goes, I do, you know, like, mm-hmm. so that's obviously like an evil version of it, but it's just kind of like the, you know, I don't get to live in this perfect world that I am making. You know, because that's not my job. My job is to go make the world and then move on to the next thing, you know? So, which I think is, uh, is again, very thematically appropriate, very similar to ActRaiser and the kind of uh, theming that it does. So, uh, so again, very, very much so agreed and very much so on point. So, I'm going to use that as a perfect jumping off point to controls and mechanics because in controls and mechanics, I can also talk about the story and... In ActRaiser, uh, and I know we talked about this on the episode, but it, it's just like, it's still, like, I'm still shook by it. It's just so good. Is in ActRaiser at the end, uh, the little angel, because you are the master in mm-hmm. ActRaiser, and the little angel that's sent to help you, but I don't know, sent by who, um, says like, oh, mm-hmm. nobody worships you anymore, so you must need to, like, go back to your, you know, celestial rest or whatever wouldn't it be great if one day they never needed you, but then I guess you'd never wake up. Huh? And like, (laughs) I mean, the the angel basically says to you, like things can never be perfect. If you are needed, Mm -hmm. the fact that anyone ever needs you means that things aren't perfect. Which would you want? Do you want to continue to exist and experience the world, but it's an imperfect world where people are suffering, or would you rather not get to exist, but the world you leave behind is perfect? And that's kind of the theme of all of the quintet games is just like this sort of melancholy, it's not a fairy tale ending, right? And at the end of Soul Blazer, uh, you, you know, you defeat evil and you freed everyone and it's everything seems like a fairy tale ending, except you go back up into the sky 
and Lisa, who's like one of the first people you meet who you somehow fall in love with. The middle part of the game is kind of story light. Most of the story happens at the very beginning and the very end. Um, and then it's just a lot of world building in between. But you, you, you're back in the sky with the master and the master's like, so you're uh, still thinking about that human Lisa, huh? And you're like, yes, where you actually have to like say yes. And then the master's like, do you, do you think you're going to be able to forget her? Or like, do you want to go back to earth? And then it's like, hey, yeah, I want to go back to Earth. It's like, okay, I can make you human permanently. Like, you just looked like a human before. I can actually make you into a mortal, but you will have none of your memories. She'll know you. You won't know her. And then when you, because, I mean, this is how the story ends. You have to do this. But, like, you choose to go back to Earth, and you appear in, like, the field where she is, and she's like, oh, my God, it's you. Because you've been gone for, like, four years at this point. And right. she's like, oh, my God, it's you. And, the, you know, it's a silent protagonist. So he's like, yeah, it's me. And <laughs> she's like, do you remember me? You don't look like you remember me. And then th- this is – I actually got into an argument with someone about this because we couldn't settle on whether or not this was well-executed or totally hackneyed. It makes you answer her. So it says, do you remember me? Yes or no. It doesn't change the ending. I think there's only a tiny bit of text that's different if you say yes or no. But this is mechanically an interesting moment because the designers want you to experience the melancholy of this moment like in a dramatic irony sense. But they force you to choose how you're going to answer her. Do you, the player lie to her and tell Mm -hmm. her the truth because you, the player remember her, but you know, the character doesn't, or do you, the player represent the character and tell the truth and say, no, I don't remember you. And it's like the, 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 the impact in the game universe is so incredibly minuscule, but the impact in the chair, the person Mm -hmm. holding the controller feels overwhelming it's like oh my god do i lie to her or not like it it feels like such this weighty decision because you've chosen to come back to earth but you don't know that you chose to come back to earth because you don't remember any of that so but what what if what if instead you the player are the person that that the protagonist right you the player are the person that the protagonist was locked behind the lost memories right so so when you are saying like when you're sitting there like you you the the person are either screaming in in his in their <laughs> mind at the top of your lungs like yes yes I remember you I remember you so that way the the, the protagonist goes yes even though like they don't but that's the knee jerk reaction or do you the player knowing that you know that that basically all the memories and all that this person was ultimately will die as and go to sleep forever as they did in act racer that you should simply answer no and kind of like let yourself and those memories die yeah it sucks (laughs) it's it's an incredibly heavy and i've talked to other people who've played this game and 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 act racer and you know the other quintet games and i'm like oh yeah like the endings of those games are so heavy and some people i've talked to are like you know oh yeah yeah i mean it's like an rpg ending and i'm like then no 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 no, no. <laughs> like no no it it's one thing to say like 
I didn't think it was that big of a deal because like the translation was really bad and I, I just couldn't get into it or like, you know, Oh yeah, he lost his memory, but obviously they go off and fall in love again. And like, so it's still kind of a happy ending, right? Like the people who've blown me off, I'm just like, you could not have been paying attention and feel that way because you would either be as shook as I am or you would be able to explain why you didn't think it was that big of a deal. But to just be flippant, like, oh, yeah, it's just like a fairy tale JRPG ending. It's like, no, it's not that. <laughs> it's it's definitely not that one. And the fact that you said that makes me wonder if you have you ever even played video games? Well, I think that that ultimately the philosophy behind it is behind act raising and behind this is strong is because the idea is it's like, you know, because, I mean, again, you know, you as the the avatar, you as the, the person like you go around and then you are no longer needed in your role. So then the idea is that that person, the, the, the servant of the master is no longer needed on Earth. So that person can't be on Earth. This new human can be, but that new human is a new human. Right. So that's the, the, the choice you have to make. But I think that the interesting thing is, is the philosophy behind if you come into a world that needs you, if you do your job right, when your, your job is finished, when the world doesn't need you anymore, because your goal shouldn't be to carve out a niche for yourself. So that way you are constantly working and fluctuating. Like, it's like, what if what if I could create a world that's better and better and better to the point where. I, you know, it, I've taught people so well that they have become so self-sufficient and so self-sustaining that I'm not needed. And I think that that's a very, it's definitely a very non-Western philosophy, which I, uh, oh, yeah. I think, yeah, I think is, is really fascinating. Um, okay. There's, there's one mechanic that I definitely absolutely want to touch on. All right. There is no knockback in this game for when you <laughs> hit bad guys and that is or very... when you get hit or when you get hit or when you get hit here here's the thing here's this is okay so here's the thing is that <laughs> this is, i gotta be honest i had a few inklings about where you might be going this one wasn't it but really? now i'm like i'm like yeah this does consistently rile him so maybe i just my <laughs> my my instruments were not tuned so the two problems with that was one to me is that it it does change the game feel, right? So when you hit something, it doesn't feel like you're hitting it. It doesn't feel as solid, right? It doesn't feel like you're hitting something and interacting with it. It feels like you're passing your sword over it, right? And and now to be fair, the bad guy does stop for a minute. Wave but, my magic death wand over you. <laughs> so the bad guy does stop for a minute, but then he keeps coming, right? So basically you have to just spam the the to hit button, right? Okay, so that's that in and of itself is fine. But here's the thing that 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 to compare to Legend of Zelda, so Legend of Zelda, which does have knockback, right? So when you knock the bad guy back, it knocks them back in kind of a random direction, right? I mean, it's it can't by definition be random, but it's nuanced enough that it kind of just knocks them in whatever direction. That makes combat more kinetic and more engaging, because mm -hmm. the thing is, then you are constantly jockeying for position around this person. The issue that I had with the way that combat played out in this particular game was that with every bad guy spawn location that I came across, right, because it's AI and the AI is relatively simple, is that it wasn't a matter of the bad guys are spawning out of this location and I totally have to just destroy them all because I'm the servant of the master. It was 
where do I need to stand relative to this portal? So that way I can just sit there and spam the B button until everybody walks into my human meat grinder and dies. And yes. that was, and so once I realized that I was like, you can make the argument for that being a more tactics based game, you know, where it's just like the goal isn't to have this like, you know, amazing adventurous, you know, like back and forth swashbuckling thing. The goal is to find that location, you know? Right. But that being said, don't know for sure that that was their intention and i was really amazed and impressed with how much tweaking that one mechanic it's like well enemies don't get knocked back and you're like and now combat is wildly and forever changed yeah no it, and it it takes a lot of the the action out of action rpg when it's it, and you uh you cannot move while you are swinging your sword so you really to get good at this game to get good you really need to learn to say like, okay, this enemy is going to be invincible for this long and travels at about this speed and does this thing right after they spawn. So I need to stand over here and then just press a until they die. Right. And yes. and that's, and- it, it's not, it's not fun. Like it's not fun <laughs> combat. Like I, I enjoy this game a lot because I love the universe because I love the story because I love unlocking the towns and the world. Um, the combat is not fun. The combat is the hoop. You just have to jump through to do the other stuff. Right. And, and it's actually a, an interesting uh, kind of point to intrinsic versus extrinsic rewards, because the thing is you're, you're playing. The reason why you're playing the game isn't because like assuming like, so combat's like, 70 percent of it like as far as like actual game time played mm-hmm. you know so you it's actually an extrinsic reward system because you are playing the game because of the things that are happening outside of the act of playing the game that you're enjoying and you're enjoying unlocking the world you're enjoying you know seeing the new monsters you're enjoying all of those sort of stuff but the actual act of playing it the actual act of combat is pretty drudgerous and kind of time consuming yeah, sure yeah, it's a chore. Yeah, and so the two other things that they did to, to exacerbate that is that once you do find that perfect location, the bad guys just keep spawning, right? So then it's literally just, like, I found the right location, and now I just have to stand here for, like, 20 seconds, you know, and just hit, do nothing, and hit hit A until all of them are done, and then and then I get my extrinsic reward of what is the new thing that I unlocked, you know? The mm-hmm. one other... The one other... What... <laughs> Oh no, I just like I'm I'm just thinking like how how that must look without nostalgia goggles <laughs> is like <laughs> because to me like even though I've seen the towns unfold a thousand times like I've I've gone through this pop-up book with my 5-year-old a thousand times I still delight when the the castle expands from the pages, right? And and I'm not considering like yeah, but for some reason we keep that book in a locked container up in the attic and <laughs> the ladder to the attic doesn't work right. So I have to go into the garage to get my ladder to get into the attic and then I forget the key. So I have to go back downstairs to get the key to unlock the box. Why am I going through all this just to see this little <laughs> pop-up castle? Ooh, pop-up castle. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Just like I agree 100% with how utterly boring this chore is, but I will play this game again. <laughs> Yes, and that's your. And when you're getting your ladder out of the uh, out of the garage, make sure that it's it's a Dewalt ladder, okay? Because Warner ladders are complete <laughs> crap. All right, and anyone you know. who says otherwise can go straight to hell. <laughs> um, 
and all this is true. So one of the other interesting differences in combat, because again, you can't help but to compare it to Legend of Zelda, um, you can't move diagonally. No, you can't. So that's another like one of those minor things that you know it's just kind of like if somebody said we're just going to do Legend of Zelda, you're like, all right, great. Legend of Zelda combat is super engaging, super enjoyable. It's like no knockback, and you can't move on a diagonal. And you'd be like, well, I mean, as long as you as long as you keep everything else, I mean, that should be fine. But because you can't move on a diagonal, right? That means that you can't like kind of turn and kite an enemy very well. You know, like yeah. it makes it a lot more difficult. Like when an enemy's coming at you, for me to like run away from him and then like turn like turn a quick tight circle around and like nail him from the side as i you know like like ducked and like the dust like flies up around me and all that sort of stuff right which then further drives home the idea of you need to find the spot where they're not going to get to you you know yeah because there was definitely a couple well, times where i was like oh i'm gonna duck and weave and move and and I, to be fair i did look at a, a walkthrough and it can be done but I was watching yeah. the, the person do it and I was like, ooh, no, I'm not that skilled. Like I, I well, just... be, because what you do have that Link only has when he's charging his shot is you can strafe. You mm -hmm. can just hold down the shoulder buttons and strafe. So you can't move on a diagonal, but if you want to create space without changing your orientation to the enemy, you can do that by strafing, but it's clunky. It's not great. Like it's it's a it's a pretty awkward way to move through the universe and having beaten this game literally probably a dozen or more times i can tell you that i use strafing in like a couple of specific spots for specific reasons and every other time it's not the optimal solution or even a fun solution the optimal solution is find the spot where if you swing constantly from here they will die in the meat grinder <laughs> Yes. And, and so, and this, uh, and then this is, no, I'll stop, I'll stop picking at this wound. But, um, <laughs> but this, this brings me to the, the overarching thing, which is, um, something that game designers, uh, you know, I, I now know more so to look out for and still completely fail on, which is, um, <laughs> uh, players will optimize the fun out of your game, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like basically players will find the optimal way to play the game and they will play it that way. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter whether or not it's fun. So it would have been way more fun for me to try to duck and weave and move and all sorts of stuff. That was not the optimal solution. The optimal solution was to wait for the bad guy to spawn and walk all the way to me for me, take a couple of swings at him, and then kind of jockey and see if I could get position a little bit closer and then take a couple of swings. And then once that solution hit, I was golden. And I just sat there and I just hammered away at him, which then, of course, made combat very unfun, but it was optimal, you know? And so like yes i am to blame a little bit in the fact that i wasn't <laughs> i went out to you know like like really really enjoy you know this fun outdoor activity day and i just first thing i found was the pogo stick and i hate the pogo stick but i just <laughs> didn't didn't want to try anything else so that is to a degree on me but don't put the pogo sticks right by the door with a giant sign that says pogo sticks are super fun and and then everything else 100 yards away you know yeah. no and and they so it doesn't forgive, uh, you know, bad combat or bad design in a game that's so combat heavy, but this team is not awesome at designing combat mechanics because you can tell that they broke from some norms on purpose. Like experimentation is not something Quintet was apparently afraid of. And I respect that, right? Even though it doesn't always work, that's the nature of experimentation. Um, 
but they're also not amazing at it because the combat in Act Razor is shockingly bad, like almost game ruiningly bad. And it's the same kind of thing where there is one and only one ideal solution and everything else is either not a solution or is so much worse you would never actually consider it, right? Like once you get the star stream magic or whatever the hell it's called, like the shooting star magic in that game, that is how you solve every problem because it solves every problem. Like why would you ever do anything else? And ActRaiser has the same, or uh, Soulblazer has the same kind of issue where once you learn that, you know, distance from the monster layer that's going to maximally kill them, that's where you stand. I do think that in, I don't know if they were thinking like, oh, well, it'd be interesting if you had to strategically find that location. Like, I don't, I don't have enough evidence to say they were definitely thinking about that level of complexity or, it, you know, from that angle. I do know that they were thinking about uh, how your attack was related to the way you move because the arc of your sword swing is huge. Yeah. It's, it's like 270 degrees. Yeah. It's friggin' gigantic. And where the sword lands actually affects how much damage you do. So like a good sword swing is better than like a grazing sword swing. And it's not so dramatic that you're like, oh man, I just barely nicked him. But it it's dramatic enough that when you were trying to find that optimal position, I guarantee you, you were subconsciously making sure they were dead center and the sword swing because that kills them in the fewest number of swings. Whereas if you were just clipping them with the very end of the gigantic arc, which you could realistically do because the arc is so huge, it would not be the optimal solution. And as we just, you know, beat to death you are kind of forced into having to find this optimal solution because it sure isn't fun correct so yeah so that was one of the things that uh that i noticed and and just uh, as a this is kind of an offshoot on that is one the first boss that i thought was completely unbearable like it's terrible it it's honestly almost experience ruining it, it like literally i got to that point and i almost i almost texted you and said like I do not wish to play this game. Like <laughs> let's pick a different game or something else. Like I, cause I mean, I almost didn't get past him. I, I looked up a wiki on how to beat him. And then like, literally I did two iterations of what it told me to do. And I was like, Oh my God. And, 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 and Megan was kind enough to actually time it. It took a full five minutes of mind blowing monotony of just like going up and tagging him and coming back down going up and tagging him and coming back down. And I was like, this is, this is really de- like like I got I got him about a third of the way down and I was like I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> like it was just it was it was really bad. And so um and so then also too that makes the entire game feel and I don't know if this is intentional or not, but it makes the entire game feel slower paced because you feel like you're in less control of the pacing. You know, like in Legend of Zelda, if I want to just blaze through a dungeon i can it's not it's not a great idea like you'll if you if you're not really good at it you'll probably get your balls rocked but it, <laughs> i can do it if i want to in actor not actor in the well also not in that tracer but in <laughs> in uh in soul blazer you really can't do that so it it does make you slow down a little bit which i'm i don't i don't know enough to the, to be the opposite of what you just said i don't know enough to say that that wasn't intentional you know 
Yeah. I mean, when you consider the theming of the universe and how they want things to unfold at a certain pace, making the pace of the game so obvious to the player where you are really aware, like, okay, defeating a monster layer takes about this amount of time. And I'm super aware of the amount of time that's passing because doing that thing is more like a chore, <laughs> right? Like it's, it, yeah, it, I, I can't really say for sure that it was a design accident. It may have been like, we want this to feel like you are slowly wearing down the horde, right? The horde is not really that big of a threat to you. You will get through them, but it's a thing you have to do. Like every, you know, once in a while, you have to suck it up and get up on the step stool and clean the dust off of the fan blades. Like it's boring and you feel like it's a giant waste of time, but it's just, you got to do it. You got to mow the lawn. You got to, you know, get that last little bit of grease off of the baking dish. Like even though the rest of the dish is clean, like, Oh, is that last little spot? And like, you're super aware of the time involved and you just do it. And based on the way the story is and how all the stories are in all the other Quindet games, it's, yeah, I think you could make a case that it's not an accident. I don't think it's a great experiment success, but <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I would say it's an accident. I think they tried to control pacing through very strictly timed combat, which if you don't have anything else to say about that actually segues into one of the mechanics. Cause I have a whole bunch of different mechanic things that are like, Oh, this is interesting. But there's one in particular that I wanted to make absolutely sure we discussed because, uh, one of the main things that makes this different from a Zelda-like is that uh, you have levels, right? Yep. Y- you gain levels, you get more life through gaining levels, but you also... Um, actually, that might be it. Do your stats change? I don't know. I, I don't... Yeah, I don't think any other stats change. You just get more life. Um because, yeah, you do more damage and get more defense by changing your weapon and armor. Right. Um, but the the reason I thought this the way they handled experience in this game is really interesting is in a Zelda, you get more life by beating dungeons, right? And in uh, certain parts of the map, there are extra hearts that some of them you can get if you're just clever. Some of them you have to have an item before you can get it. And then you also need to be clever because you have to like go and dig it up or whatever. Um, In a game with experience, when the amount of health you have is tied to the level your avatar is, that opens up the possibility for grinding. Except you can't really grind in this game because there are a fixed number of monsters. And once you destroy a monster layer, they're gone forever but every world every area has a handful of monsters that respawn every time the screen loads but the unbelievable chore that it would be to kill like three monsters walk off the screen come back kill those three monsters again walk off the screen come back and to grind that way would be no one would do that no one in their right freaking mind would do that there is exactly one spot in the game that is designed. You can tell they laid it out this way on purpose for grinding is that in the world of evil, there's those floating glass wall things. They're literally just glass rectangles that like roll end over end and they Mm -hmm. drop an unreal amount of experience. And there's a, 
a bunch of them right near a door and there's a little loop you can walk. You start at the door, you kill like six of them and then you go through the door and then you come right back through and you just walk the loop again. And that is the only spot in the game where grinding is feasible and would be effective if you did it. And it's literally the room right before the final boss. So if you are unable to beat the final boss being the level and power that they designed for you to be with the fixed amount of monsters that are in the universe, there and only there could you choose to grind. And for some reason, maybe it's just because I played a lot of JRPGs as a person, because I still do. (laughs) Maybe it's just because I play a lot of JRPGs, but I found that amount of attention to detail in the experience you have at any given time And then giving you this one little tiny bastion of grinding if you need it because you just can't overcome the last boss to be sort of brilliant. Like it's this incredible Mm -hmm. attention to detail because you couldn't do that in the Zelda universe. It would be really weird if it's like, oh, right before you fight Ganon, if you want, there's 20 extra hearts that you can just go pick up. Like that would feel like cheating. You'd just Mm -hmm. be like, oh why in this room right before Ganon is there a bunch of extra life but being able to grind for experience by defeating monsters even though they're weird glass rectangles like that feels earned so it's like they're giving you an out if you need it but they don't want you to need it they want you to be a specific level a specific amount of health and the boss is tuned for that but here's an out if you need it well and that's the thing though is that they they raise the cost of entry for the out to the point where you will need it, it, you will only do that if you need it you know so basically it's 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 a way to ratchet down the difficulty right it's a way to go from normal difficulty to easy mode if you have to right but the thing is it's it's like you know you are way more likely to like fight the boss and you know get rocked and then you fight the boss again and get rocked you'd be like do i need to do i need to grind and level up no i'll try one more time and then maybe you beat him that time you know but it's it's literally because it's not just a Hey, would you? Hey, sucker, you suck at this. You want to suck it on easy mode or whatever? Like, it's not that. It's like, you know, literally the player is self limiting in the fact that they are more likely to gravitate towards the experience that designers intended to have instead of like doing it the quote unquote easy way. And so then they will, and and the thing is, they're only going to grind to the point where they can just barely beat the boss, which is what the the experience designers decided to have. So it is actually very elegant game design in in my own humble opinion. Yeah, and it, it's it's one of those things that I'm not sure, again, like I can't think of another great example of, here's a game that uses levels and experience, but really the levels and experience kind of don't matter because the game controls the level you're at through some mechanism at any given time, right? Kirby's Epic Yarn. Kirby's Epic Yarn. Exactly like that, yes. Um, yeah. Man, level 99 Kirby, though, is just the best. Um, <laughs> But that's then, when, <laughs> that's, when, that's when he turns into 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 Sonic, just like <laughs> but like Super Sonic, you know. Uh, I, would, I don't know I would, why those I, two things are related. I don't know, but I would play that game. Um, <laughs> I would grind up that Kirby. But but I I really like this idea of we have designed an experience that we are we've play tested and we are fairly convinced is balanced. But if we're wrong. If you made it this far and the balance was off just enough that the cumulative effect of it being off is that you can't finish the game, 
we'd really rather you finish the game. So here's your pressure release valve, right? You don't get access to it until the very last minute. I mean, you could begrudgingly do it earlier, but you don't really get access to the pressure release valve until the very last minute. And it's just, I I can't think of a better word for it. It just feels thoughtful. Like it's a very thoughtful that they're like, we did our best. We really think we made a fair experience, but just in case we're wrong, here you go. Right. Um, I, there are there are a bajillion different mechanics, but I know we're starting to run a little long. What what do you do? You have anything that you need to get in there? Uh, no, I really wanted to just talk about that experience thing because once I put it all together in my mind, like how it was different from either a game with no experience, like a Zelda, or a game with only experience, like a Final Fantasy. I was like, ooh, this is oh yeah, th- this is not only clever. This is maybe more games should try to do this here's our highly balanced experience, but just in case we screwed it up, here's your pressure release valve. Like that's, and maybe other games have chosen to do that in other clever ways, but the doing it through levels um, just felt like really thoughtful and, and kind of on point for the universe. Um, I, I I will quickly rapid fire a few mechanical things at you because they don't require deep discussions, but just that I noticed and appreciated um, this universe has no money. <laughs> Boom. Lightning round. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Universe has no money. People give you stuff for free because they know you're trying to save the world, which is how everyone in every RPG should treat the hero. Agreed. Um, They make you do a little bit of backtracking, but it's not, uh, they don't like drag it out. So you don't feel angry at them for making you backtrack to the earlier levels so that you could defeat the metal monsters with the metal swords. It feels like a good reason to have backtracking. It feels like a good reason for backtracking and the fact that your backtracking gives you an idea for how much more powerful you've become. So that way it's not just the numbers getting bigger. It actually gives you a framing device for your power in the level. Boom. Next Boom. one. Um, uh, <laughs> where is it? I got lost in my own notes here. Damn it. Come oh, on, man. Uh, I, I, like, I like that the save spots are also the same tool you use to navigate the world. Um, you just have your three little exit stamps and then where you save to talk to the master. Like... It it's just I don't need a, a transportation mechanic and a save mechanic when you can elegantly combine them in this way. And a lot of later RPGs have done this by making their save spots like teleportation stones. Like th- this, if you're gonna give me a big sprawling world, like don't don't spread out all of my concerns. Consolidate those as much as possible. Um, and then my my final one. Oh, sorry. Do you want to uh, boom? Boom. Thank you. Uh, my final one is this game commits a grievous sin in my mind of all action RPGs, which is having some items that are auto use and some that are not. And it's not clear Correct. why that is. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, I tried to use that medical herb so many times. I was like, why isn't this working? Oh, wait, no, I have to die first. Yeah. And that one, like the medical herb always gives you full health. So it's nice, but it's not nice that it has to be equipped, which means if you have like the power bracelet, you can't use the power bracelet because you have to equip the medical herb, which means you play a dangerous game of cat and mouse or or chicken where you're like, can I equip the medical herb right before I die so that I can have the power bracelet on as long as possible. And then later when you get the platinum card and use it to go into the dungeon, do you have to equip the platinum card? No, the guy just acknowledges that you're carrying it. Why don't other people acknowledge other things that I'm carrying? Why do I have to take the mushroom shoes off in the mountain level can't i just leave the mushroom shoes on all the time there's no other shoes that i ever need to equip like if you're going to have some items that work passively and you're going to have some items that require player action give me a reason that those things are different i'm not saying it has to be all one way or the other i just need to understand why an item is in one category or the other boom 
<laughs> End of lightning round. <laughs> did you have an app already that did that? Or in the time I was complaining, were you able to find an app? <laughs> I, I would really love to say I found an app for that, but um, we, we are, we are, and, and, and my son will love this because this is a great story. Um, you know, we, we're, we're, we're at that, that fun part of potty training where like 90% of the time, like it's all okay. But then, you know, sometimes there are accidents. So, <laughs> whenever he successfully uses the bathroom, we go like, Teddy Pete on the potty. And then we hit the, the DJ horn and we have yeah. a little like DJ dance party. So, uh, so that, that is why I have a DJ horn on my phone. That I'm, I'm 100% on board with that explanation. <laughs> <laughs> so with all that said, does it hold up? So I came into this with a firm, no nostalgia goggles required, and I am going to hold at no nostalgia goggles required, but with the caveat of being aware that this game is doing some weird things on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Some of the the themes, some of the mechanics, uh, some of the visuals and, and the audio, like they are weird, but most of them, many of them, but I would go so far as to even say most of them are not accidents. They made intentional, interesting design choices to try and make a different kind of experience. And I think if you, if you go into a modern game or a modern movie or a modern book, that's trying to be weird on purpose. Like that's trying to be avant-garde it's really not that different than if you go into a classic game or movie or book that is trying to be avant-garde, right? It's, it's, it's Pomo. It's weird for the sake of weird, right? But, <laughs> but because, because they were so thoughtful about their decisions and because they weren't, tr they weren't really trying to be weird for the sake of weird. They were trying to do something interesting. And some of those ideas turned out to be good ideas and some of them didn't, but I think the overall package does not require having played it as a child. I think you just, what you do need to know is this game is not like every other action RPG. Some of the things about it are weird, but they're weird on purpose. So right. it's, I, I'm going to call it a no nostalgia goggles, but it's like with the tiny asterisk of like, but it's weird. If you don't like weird experimental games, maybe don't play it. <laughs> Yeah, no, for me, I, I was like, no, I, I agree with you. I'm at no nostalgia goggles required, but ooh, man, like, it's like, it's it's just, <laughs> it's right. Like, like I was like, at first, you know, I was like, you know, when I was first playing it, I was dealing with the combat. I was like, Gosh, this is awful. Yeah, I have nostalgia goggles. But, then, you know, I got into a little bit more and I was like, yeah, maybe nostalgia monocle. And then you kind of got to the end. I was like, no, I don't think you need nostalgia goggles, but. You almost do. You're you're like 2060 vision. You know, like you can <laughs> you can pass that eye exam, but but man, like only when you like squint your left eye and then squint your right eye and then figure out what the blur means. You know, like like right we, right you, on you that can area. Tell, you can tell the optometrist feels a little guilty letting you drive out of there, but they're like, well, he drove here. And so it's it's probably fine. It's probably fine. But yeah, and 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 my big thing for this though is that you know instead of making the bajillionth Mario or whatever, why don't they remake these games like Act Racer and you know? Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Okay. <laughs> 
you probably had a way you were going to end that sentence on your own, but I'm ending it for you. So, uh, in, at my job, we have like a little, you know, water cooler channel in our Slack, uh, that's all about video games and Sega and some development shop. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, they literally just announced being released in July. So as of the time of this recording, like three weeks away, they just announced a uh, spiritual successor to ActRaiser. Well, I mean, we got to play that. Yes, we do got to play that. No, like oh. I, I, I watched the trailer and I was just like, oh man, this this kind of looks and feels like ActRaiser, but some of that could just be a coincidence. And then I read the press release and I mean, they just wore their heart right out on their sleeve. They were just like, we wanted to make a spiritual successor to ActRaiser. And I was like, yes, yes, <laughs> because Sega does not have a perfect track record of making good games, but they've made some pretty freaking solid games in their career. And it's not like they're making money off consoles anymore. So I, I agree with what I think you were getting at, which is, Try things that are new and interesting and then refine them. Don't just yes. try it once. Don't be like the friggin' Wiley e. Coyote. Don't try an idea once and then never try it again like a cartoon right. character. You need to experiment and then adjust and refine the experiment. And and this this kind of game, the the melancholy quintet, you know, Act Razor, Soul Blazer, Illusion of Gaia, Terranigma, like there just aren't a ton of games like that anymore that take an established formula and are like, what if we just change it a little bit? Right. I mean, that, no. that's actually, that's a good, um, another good example of that is uh, uh, Hideo Kojima, the guy who made uh, Metal Gear Solid. He really wanted to make movies, but he kind of ended up making video games. And so like, there's a lot of cutscenes in Metal Gear Solid. Like it's it's worth it. It doesn't feel like a chore like clearing a monster lair, but like it's kind of like playing a movie. So you and I mm. should play that movie. We should play Metal Gear Solid. Dude, I I am a hundred percent down for playing Metal Gear, man. Like, because I've heard a lot of good things about Metal Gear. It's it's an older game and and I'm surprised that you're mentioning it from a cinematic standpoint because I'm not sure that the hardware would have like been up for that but dude i mean you know me i'm totally down for new experiences let's let's play some metal gear right so there's a lot of games in the series so we're gonna play it's one of the middle ones right yeah no definitely i i agree completely we should play metal gear but to to, to sum it all up i really loved this game it was it was really great i really loved chrono trigger the curtain falls the music plays the credits roll then it all fades black and you're left by yourself the fanfare is gone there's no player two there by your side to share victories won but as you slowly progress down the hall to your bed a few great events leak back into your head from the time that you spent Traversing the land Battling evil Fighting the darkness Just sword in hand Your memories creeping With the end of a smile You realize again What you lost for a while You're gonna think back much less 